Hello, everyone. Today I have the pleasure of meeting with Michelle Dawson and Gwen Hersha of Model eLearning. I have met them and gotten to know them a little bit through Twitter. So today I wanted to introduce them to you um, so you could get to know them a little bit. Gwen, Michelle, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? I'll begin. My name is Gwen Hersha, and I'm an instructional designer with Spring Arbor University in Michigan and belong to an e-learning team of awesome people. Um, I've been doing instructional design for about seven years, but working in higher ed for maybe 16 or 17. I appreciate the academic setting, and um, this is where I earned my master's degree, master's in communication. And the one thing that I'm excited about to share is the way I believe um, instructional designers are really impacting education and the progress of education today by being that kind of middle person taking content and moving it into a new context, a new environment for learners. And I am Michelle Dawson and Gwen and I are both on the same team with Model eLearning at Spring Arbor University. And I've been an instructional designer with Spring Arbor for about seven years, but I have a long history with Spring Arbor and have actually been employed here for 19 years. So I'm very used to the academic setting, but also realize that instructional design can be so important in a variety of fields and a variety of businesses. And just really enjoy being able to work in the field of instructional design for online classes, for blended classes, and just in general to help people get the information that they need in a manner that is acceptable and appropriate. Very nice to meet both of you. Gwen, you said that you're excited to talk about how ID is affecting education and business and you know how we do things. Uh, what are you particularly excited about? Well, one thing that I think is very true is that traditionally in America, we've kind of grown passive learners. And so if you think about the lecture, that's one good example. Our kids go through high school, college, thinking they come to class. Um, if they're really good students, they'll have a notebook and something to write with. And they listen to a lecture, then they leave and do some assignments, turn in, that kind of thing. And what online learning is doing is actually making that shift to students having to be more active and taking more responsibility for their own learning. So that's one thing that I find really exciting is to be part of that shift because uh, we know from research and my own experience, if I'm involved and interested in something, I'm going to learn a lot more than if I'm sitting and just listening to someone give me some information. That's great. Um, I actually um, did my master's and now um, some of my um, PhD classwork um, in an online environment. And I have to tell you, between when I did my master's, um, I graduated in 2009, um, and now do my PhD, it's it's incredible to see the way that the, the changes have come. One of the things that I see in classrooms for online learning is a lot of the interaction between students um, seems to be coming from discussion posts, um, which, you know, there's mixed reviews on, from students at least, on, on, uh, on 
how much they love that or not. <laughs> um, do you think that that's something that will continue to, to continue um, to be the main way that students interact, or do you see other technologies and online learning, other types of interactions that are, schools are implementing? Well, absolutely. Discussion is kind of like the foundational place to interact in an online course. Um, and one thing to note when you mentioned that students don't always like it is that this transition from being passive to active, it's not just for those of us, you know, in my generation who didn't grow up with computers, but even young people now, 18-year-olds, they're struggling with that as well. And so all of us are in it together. But um, discussion is a great place to interact. However, as instructional designers, we're really careful about the prompts that we create, the criteria that we set for grading. So an example would be, um, you know, you need 300 to 400 words in your response to this prompt. Also, you need to post it by Wednesday, and then by Sunday, you need to have replied to at least five of your, your colleagues or peers, something like that. So in design, we think about all the little rules uh, that need to be in place so that students actually have to discuss Maybe they have to mention a source and cite, cite it in proper APA or something like that. Mm -hmm. But that's one way to get them involved. And then discussion can't just stand alone. The instructor or facilitator is the one who really makes it work. In my opinion, that person has to be very present and reading everybody's posts and replying as much as possible, you know, throughout the week, two or three times going in and say, hey, I think you're on the right track and here's why, blah, 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 or just helping bring students along that aren't really getting into the content enough and mostly just being gracious and having conversation. I think that's how discussion works. Um, your question was more than that, though. There are a lot of other tools that um, can help interaction become reality in the online learning environment. Do you have any ideas, Michelle? Well, yes, there are a lot of tools that will generate that interactivity that we're looking at. But what we as instructional designers are looking at is making sure that we know our client, which is first and foremost the student, because they're the end user of this product, and also making sure that we know the subject matter expert maybe that we are working with or the instructor that we are working with so that even though we are not the content experts, we can design that content in a manner that makes it interactive, that makes it effective, that really makes it something that not only the instructor but the student too will be able to consume in that online format or even in a blended format. It's really about knowing your audience. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Now, what would you say is the biggest challenge as being an instructional designer in an academic platform or an academic setting? Biggest or one challenge? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, one. <laughs> well, we have to look at, we, we are supplied with the content from a content expert. And a lot of times they will have the knowledge, but maybe they don't have the familiarity with the, the format, with the online format. So maybe they've taught in the classroom for years, 
they know their content, they know their subject, but they don't know how to take that and translate it into an online format. So that's where an instructional designer really comes in to the, um, to the concept so that we can show them and teach them and help them to learn the tools for interactivity and uh, help them to align the content so that the student is meeting the learning outcomes that have been set for the course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what got you both into doing instructional design? Did you go to school for it originally, or is it something that you kind of stumbled into, or, you know, what's your stories? Well, my story is I went to college to be a teacher, and I wanted to teach elementary, and so I did for a few years. Um, before I taught, however, I worked as the assistant registrar for John Brown University, a small liberal arts college in northwest Arkansas. And so that was my introduction to higher ed and actually being on staff and helping things work, helping students register, helping faculty advise, all of that stuff. And then when I was a teacher, I loved it. I got involved with my students um, and their parents, building community and that sort of thing. But then when it was time to have our own children, I wanted to stay home. And so anyway, when I went back to work, it was in another registrar's office here in Michigan. And I had the opportunity, because I was a staff member, to think about completing a master's degree. And I picked Masters of Communication because I thought that's relevant to everything. And if, I, if it doesn't take me to a new job, at least it'll make me a better communicator. And so my program was online. And that's really what sealed the deal for me in instructional design. I started to appreciate the way the course was developed. I started to see like behind the scenes why they did things like they did. And for me, I found my voice in the online classroom. Because when I sat in class in my undergrad program, I take a little longer to reflect on what's going on. And so if the professor asked a question, I'd be thinking about it, and someone else would answer exactly what I was thinking about answering. And I never really had a voice. I was always kind of on the edge of the class. But um, in the online forum, in discussion forum, I had to respond. and then people responded to me. And so that was very rewarding to me. I was so excited the first time that happened. And I think I found my voice and I realized the value for people like me who aren't, you know, because when you're in a room and someone asks a question, there's usually somebody who has the answer to everything. Um, and so someone like me was kind of off on the edge. And so online learning was really um, where I started to participate. And then an opening became available here at this university for an instructional designer, and I looked into it. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's excellent. No, I, I have a similar situation. I mean, did, didn't come from education, but I kind of stumbled into it because of, you know, different changes in my life and things that I liked. And then, you know, here, here I am, and I, I'm the same. I, I'm a processor. Um, and when I did my master's um, work online, I just felt like, like you said, you had time to process what, you, what the teacher said or what you read in the, in the text or whatever, and it, it allowed you to kind of stand out in the classroom um, rather than, like you said, that one person <laughs> that answers everything. Because <laughs> they all exist, every class. <laughs> Well, Brianne, I don't know that I've actually met an instructional designer 
who set out to be an instructional designer. I mm-hmm. think we come from a lot of different areas. And for me, my background is actually in broadcasting. I am a 20-year broadcast professional, and before being online, I was on the air. So I had a radio program that I co-hosted with my husband, and I've worked at various radio stations. But during the time that I was in radio, I was also teaching at the university level, teaching radio courses and teaching speech courses. So I was also exposed to the academic world. And after my broadcasting career, um, after some downsizing at a radio station that I was working for, I applied in the instructional design area here at this college because it just seemed like a good fit. And people may think, well, how in the world is radio anything like instructional design? But there are a lot of common ground. There's a lot of common ground. Uh, for example, I, I mentioned earlier, your audience. If you're giving a speech, if you are on the radio and you're talking to a listening audience, or if you are designing a course for online or for blended, you have to know who that end user is, who the listener is, who your audience is. And there are just so many connections that we can make between those two worlds. So for me, it was a really good transition and it was a really good fit. That's awesome. That's awesome. And and I've never heard of heard anyone that came from broadcasting um, <laughs> to instructional design. But you're 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 totally right. There is a connection. You know, it's all about creating the experience, telling the story, connecting with the audience. Um, so that's really interesting. What was your the, the premise of your show? Well, yeah. my husband and I hosted a national morning show on a mm-hmm. network, and uh, we played music and we just kind of uh, chatted about our life as parents and uh, it was just it was a fun time we did that for a total of five years together and uh, just a a really great experience and now I've moved on to this and just really loving instructional design as well yeah definitely definitely so tell me about model e-learning and um, also you know it's relationship partnership I guess maybe with uh, Spring Harbor University I don't know that I know much about that well, model e-learning is something really exciting for us. It's it's a concept that we had for many years, uh, way back seven years ago when Michelle and I joined this team. Uh, the idea was that we need to be sharing with others about what we're learning as we're working in instructional design. But it didn't come to uh, reality uh, until, I don't know, two years ago, year and a half ago, we were actually, I don't know what it was, but we said this is the time and we started a blog. And we have a team of about 10 folks, and we rotate writing about what we're interested in, what we're finding out about instructional design, what we think is valuable about teaching and learning online, funded, anything to do with e-learning tools, um, concepts, philosophy, any of that. We all kind of have our own area, and so we're focusing on that. Michelle? Well, what I really enjoy about being involved with our Model E-Learning blog is that because we have a team of so many people and because we come from such diverse backgrounds, we can each add our own perspective to what e-learning means to us and what instructional design means to us. And I can read the blogs of my my coworkers, my colleagues, and learn a lot about things that I'm not familiar with. And hopefully when they're reading my blog posts, 
they're doing the same. For our team, it's become a real important piece of professional development. Yeah, no, it sounds like it, definitely. So are there certain things that you're seeing are um, coming or trends that you're seeing in the instructional design world? Yes, there are a lot of tools out there and a lot of talk, you know, about how everything's going to change. And so, and there are a lot of people that blog about that. Uh, We haven't done a whole lot about that. Mostly we've been just kind of sharing our stories about what we're learning in higher ed. Mm -hmm. Um, What we see here in our university is that online learning is growing and the traditional student is choosing online learning um, over coming to campus and living in a dorm at times. And so it's booming. (laughs) Right. Um, It's changing just like, I mean, everything is changing so fast. So, a lot of what we're doing is trying new things, finding new tools, new strategies. One thing that I think keeps us anchored is that we have learning theory, we have research behind us, so we don't just strike out and say, well, let's try this, without um, making sure that it really does match what we all know about teaching and learning. Right, right. That's so important. Great. So um, we're getting to the, cl- the end of our time. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Well, I think it's important no matter what field you're in, whether you're in the academic environment or maybe a business environment, you really have to stay on your game. You have to know what is going on in your field. You need to read. You need to, you know, make sure you're subscribing to professional journals and and, uh, articles that will help you to grow in your field. You need to make connections with others so that you can network and you need to attend professional conferences and just really seek to grow in your field and expand your expertise. I agree. I think that you have to be a learner to do this kind of work and you have to value learning something new and you have to be brave and just join the group even though you think everybody else knows more than you. And Mm -hmm. Learning is is really the key to making a change in where you are. And so if you want to be a great instructional designer, just be open to learning. Yeah. Now, if you were to, you know, let's say someone's listening to this this podcast and they, you know, have basically stayed in their lane and, you know, just kind of kept their head down, but they're interested in starting the learning journey, um, what would you suggest they do as their first step? Yeah, just dive in, get as much information as you can. They can they can visit our blog. Uh, we post a lot about, like I said, the different aspects of uh, things that we are learning, and we come at it from many different perspectives. So if, if they were to visit modelelearning.com and uh, maybe read some of our blogs, get in contact with us, that would be fine. And uh, just do that networking like I talked about. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that that networking is so important, and you—it's unbelievable the um, the amount of things that you learn just from having conversations with people. So, thank you very much, both of you, for chatting with me today. For those who are listening, um, be sure to check out their website, which I have posted the links here, um, and go ahead and follow them on Twitter. Um, they post a lot of really great information. Um, so, thank you very very much, both of you, um, and we look forward to seeing you on Twitter. Thank you. Thank it was you, a Brianne. joy to be here.